0: You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. Well, every once in a while, um, you've got to preach a message that will likely offend everyone in the room at some point And Uh, the time is upon us for just such a message this morning. So, if you feel unduly irritated at one point, just wait, Um, because I will irritate probably whoever's sitting around you. That's not my intent, uh, but it is the, the nature of this message as it regards to false faith this morning. So, For those of you that it may take a minute to find, if you need to, we're going to be um, in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, This morning in your Bibles, you can follow along uh, on the screens. You can uh, look at the notes section uh, in your app, on your phone, if you choose. Whenever we come out of the summer, into the fall, before a presidential election year, um, we find ourselves inevitably in a significant political season. Now, I am by nature a bit of a political junkie, so it doesn't bother me. I get fired up, but it does bring certain challenges uh, to my mind and my heart. But this season is upon us, whether we like it or not. The, the primary for us in Georgia uh, is this next March on the 12th. Uh, the Republican National Convention uh, will be in July, and the Democratic National Convention in August, and the presidential election uh, a year from this November, just a few weeks away on November 5th. Now, if it goes like the last one or two, we may not know results for weeks. We're getting uh, pathetic and ridiculous as a nation, but it's still the Super Bowl of, of global politics uh, the presidential election is not only are Americans watching and invested, but we know that the world is as well. This can present both unique opportunities and unique challenges to us as the people of God. What we found, especially, especially over the last fifteen or twenty years, is that it is all too common for church members to get more worked up over political disagreements than theological heresy from fellow believers. Now, partly that may be because we're not sure uh, or able to recognize heresy, I hope that's not it. Uh, but the other alternative that we're just more invested in national politics than scripture uh, and Christian theology is, is not a good option either. But we know that's the case, one author put it this way, partisan politics might be the new religion of America and it seems at least over the last few years that most professing Christians are falling right in line. Right in line. Um, and this is true not only of the uh, kind of America's the best crowd, it's also true of the uh, newly rising and prominence America's the worst crowd. Um, this latter group, I think, has been um, uniquely influential and vocal over the last 10 to 15 years. There's a kind of pseudo-sophisticated um, cultural norm of of bashing the United States that uh, you've likely noticed. I've been uh, enough in the the world of education and academia to know it's certainly prominent there. Um, This sort of takes the shape of dismissing uh, the achievements and historical contributions the United States has made to the world. Um, Ignoring the unprecedented amount of aid, uh, military support, disaster relief, Uh, and financial generosity that the United States um, has been known for uh, throughout our history to other nations and highlights consistently uh, the moral failings, inconsistencies, and atrocities uh, of American history in a way that suggests that the U.S. is somehow um, the only nation with a dark past or somehow darker than other nations. I don't know how much of a student of history you are, but human history is a pretty dark place. I don't know how much of a student even of modern history you are, of the rise and falls of nation states as we know them today, but it's a pretty dark history. It's a pretty dark history. Um, I was watching the news, or rather listening to the news this week, uh, as the, the New York City Cultural Affairs Committee was particularly addressing uh, statues and monuments to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Christopher Columbus in New York City. Some of you have been there. You've been around uh, Columbus Circle there. Sharon and I have. Um, and, and this is their desire, to remove works on all public grounds that depict a person who owned enslaved persons or directly benefited economically from slavery or who participated in systematic crimes against indigenous people or other crimes against humanity. It's almost sophomoric um, in its wording, if sincere in its intent. I was thinking about this and thinking about what it means to be guilty, not only uh, biblically and and academically of chronological snobbery, uh, thinking how much we know compared to former people, but of uh, a moral sense of chronological snobbery. And we best be careful in our day. Can you imagine how our great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren are going to look back at our time in history as, as a culture at least. We've promoted this idea that men can become women and women can become men or neither can be either or both can be whatever. Or that human beings can uh, identify as cats or dogs and should be treated as such. It's asinine. For, for a sane mind to try to get your head around it is baffling. And yet that's where we find ourselves. So we ought to be careful. We know that uh, all cultures and all heroes come with warts and baggage. If you don't know that, you just haven't studied very much. You haven't read very many biographies on men and women that you aspire to be like. And we know because part of the darkness of our history is slavery that our entire nation benefited from it. South and North. All the northerners were wearing uh, cotton clothing as well, sleeping on cotton sheets, and so on and so forth. So how is it that we think about being citizens of heaven and citizens of an earthly kingdom? For us this morning, citizens of the United States. What is to be the relationship between true followers of Jesus, born again disciples of Christ, the church, in our earthly nation. Well, we get a clue not only from the New Testament, but well before New Testament times from a word that God gives to his people after they've been exiled in Babylon. They've been conquered militarily by the Babylonians and great portions of them carried off to Babylonia in exile, ripped from the land that they believed to be rightfully theirs by God, ripped from The temple and the rites and passages of worship that they knew ripped from what they understood to be the promises of God. And God sends them a word by way of a letter. Let's pick this up and let's read in Jeremiah chapter 29 verses four through seven. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile From Jerusalem to Babylon. Now you've got to imagine that as this is being read, some of the hearers couldn't almost hear anything after this. Right then they were stumped by the fact that God has just said to them through his prophet that ultimately it wasn't the Babylonians who exiled them, it was God himself. That they found themselves where they were as a result of the patient and right judgment of God. On them as his people. Verse five Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at the topic before us this morning, this issue of false faith represented in the idea of political Christianity. God, by your spirit, may we be given eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to believe, and Father, wills to follow. May you be glorified this morning. May our paths and our thinking be straightened. I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so it would have been stunning for the people of God to hear that their current state was actually ordained and carried out by God. And they had false prophets chattering in their ears saying, don't worry, it's not gonna be very long, we'll be back on top in no time. We're gonna, God's gonna deliver us, we're gonna go back. And God had to speak right through the false prophets and say, no, no. You need to settle down and make yourselves at home where you are. And we find some, some realities here to guide us uh, that we'll uh, find illustrated both from Jeremiah 29 and in other parts of scripture this morning about how it is that we relate as citizens of heaven primarily to our, our earthly kingdom where we live. And this is true of all Christians everywhere, it doesn't matter. What nationality or race, it doesn't matter where your earthly citizenship is, we have to figure this out. The first thing is this that we see, that we are to be devoted to where we live. You are to be devoted to where you live, and it doesn't matter where you live. In our context, it's the United States, it's Georgia, it's the South, the Bible Belt, This is what God is saying here when he's saying build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what you produce in verse five. Marry and marry and have kids and marry and have kids and marry and have kids. He's saying establish yourself. It's what he means when he says seek peace and prosperity for the land. Pray. Be devoted to the place you are. Be devoted to the place that you are. We, um, seem to be guided, hopefully, by the Spirit of God returning quite often right now, at least in illustrative uh, means, to Acts chapter 17. We will again this morning briefly, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul's great words in Athens. He reminds us again that from one man, that is Adam, he that is God made all the nations, all people groups, all races and ethnicities, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Where we live and when we live, our time in human history is driven by the will and purposes of God for his glory and for our good, that we might seek him, that we might find him. I know some of you probably feel like old souls trapped in a, in a new world right now as the lyrics to uh, a modern song go. Go. I feel that way sometimes. I told Sharon the other day that I'm probably the only one uh, that sits around regularly thinking about whether in World War II, I would rather have been in the 101st Airborne and parachuted in the night before D-Day or been a Ranger and been able to land at Normandy on D-Day. And I weigh the pros and the cons of each. Sharon's like, I'm quite certain you're the only person that sits around thinking things like that. I was born as one out of time. She said, you know, a lot of people were killed in World War II, and I said, yes, but I would not have been. She said, I'm sure you wouldn't have. True story, just this last week. But there are no accidental births when it comes to God's creation. You don't accidentally live where you live or live when you live. In the spectrum of human history, we are here by purpose and we are to be devoted to where we live. And part of what that means, friends, can I just tell you, Uh, for us as free citizens in a democratic republic, it does mean being involved in the processes that are available to us as free citizens. That's part of what being devoted to the nation means, devoted to the place where we live. That's part of what it means to establish ourselves, to seek the welfare, the good and prosperity of the land to which God has called us in a given season. And I wish more Christians, rather than just the weirdos, would engage in the political processes. It's not only our right, but a great responsibility for us to contact our elected representatives locally, at the state level, at the national level. You know what, if you've ever spoken to one, they actually take it serious when constituents reach out to them and make their opinions known on things. Like I said, don't be a freak. But just reach out. Share with them your opinions, your concerns, your thoughts about issues. It's not an all or nothing thing. We live in a really dualistic time. Where it's either this or it's that. It's up or it's down. It's left or it's right. It's in or it's out. That's not how most of life works. You and I are to be devoted to where we live because this is where God has us. And one of the ways that we worship him and we honor him is by being devoted to the place and the structures and the culture and the systems in which he's placed us. It's why in the New Testament we're commanded to pray for those who exercise authority over us. Pray for those who are in elected positions of leadership and responsibility. Be devoted to where you live. We get another clue from Jeremiah 29 though. Not only are we to be devoted, we are also simultaneously to be distinct from where we live. Devoted to where we live and distinct from where. Where we live. You get this idea in two parts of the passage in Jeremiah 29. First, and it's a, a little it's a little harder to see in our translation right here, but marrying and having sons and daughters and finding wives for your sons and giving your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increasing in number there, not decreasing, is an instruction given for them to do within the confines of of the people of Israel, the people of God, not to be intermarrying with Babylonians and foreigners. Part of how they're re- to remain distinctive, part of what it means to increase in number there is to increase in number as the covenant people of God. So that from their tribe and their tongue, they will be marrying, having children, increasing, marrying, having children, increasing, because there is a distinctness, a uniqueness to them that they're called to even in exile. And friends, more and more and more, we're having to come to accept that we are as the church, a church in exile in our country and our culture. But also, if you look, and, and this can roll right past us if we're not careful, in verse 7, they are to pray, and he doesn't just say, pray for it. God doesn't just say, pray for the city and the land to which I've called you, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He says, pray what? To the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D in most of our Old Testaments, which is a way of translating Yahweh. Pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pray to the one true living God in a land of divine pluralism. In a land filled with gods and religions and icons to pray to. Pray, but pray to the Lord. Pray to Yahweh, to the one true God, the living God, your God. Remain distinct. Remain distinct at this time, ethnically and religiously. Even as you're establishing yourself and you're seeking the benefit of the place where you live. Now, this is very, very, very hard for us. And I, I want to tell you that the next eight or ten minutes is where we're going to need the Holy Spirit's help the most this morning because we have for a long time seen being Christian and American as synonymous. Certainly culturally, and that's magnified in the Bible Belt. Let me give you one more example of the distinction before we look at this more carefully from First Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, one of a series of letters to the church in Corinth addressing questions that they were sending him. And he said, I wrote to you in my letter, one that has been lost to us, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9 and 10 who are immoral, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthians is there is to be a a distinct nature to you now as followers of Jesus to your life together. Now, he does not say here not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and has committed sexual immorality, has committed an act of greed, has committed an act of idolatry, has slandered someone, ever gotten drunk or, or ever tried to cheat somebody out of something that they had. He says is, the idea here is a present continuous state. People who are, are living in ways that are characterized by this. Paul is ultimately saying here, one of two things is, is present. They're either not believers at all and they're claiming the name of Christ and you've got to protect the integrity, the purity and the witness of the church from that or they are believers and their very soul is at stake because they are caught up in a pattern of sin they're unwilling to acknowledge or repent from. And shunning them, excommunicating them is an attempt to see uh, the Holy Spirit wake them up and then be brought out. But part of what we see here is the idea that we are to be distinct, a distinct people. And in our particular place, our particular geographical location where we are now, in the United States, in the South, the Bible Belt, this takes on mostly the clothing, the flavor of this kind of God and country political reality. Dan and Sarah, the unsaved Christian, puts it bluntly, and I found it quite powerfully and, and a bit shaking actually. He said the American church's celebration of patriotism, patriotism can fan the flame of the all-encompassing generic God of cultural Christianity by not only leaving it unchallenged, but giving it a platform. When churches bring out all the stops in observance of the cultural high holy days, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute, it can perpetuate the notion that God and America are attached at the hip. I think for most of us in here this morning, if we are by the Spirit's help to be honest, this idea is more in us than we're willing to admit or maybe even recognize. That there is something uniquely exalted about the particular country we're a part of right now. Uniquely chosen by God. And the great challenge for us this morning and and every day is to detangle ourselves from a God and country gospel that is not only foreign to true Christianity, but absolutely antithetical to the biblical gospel, to the biblical gospel. Here are a few things that tend to characterize this to help us think about it, tend to characterize this particular version of false faith that that so permeates the soil in which we live and the air that we breathe. He mentioned high holy days. The high holy days of this version of false faith are Memorial Day, the 4th of July, and Veterans Day. And it's like we have to be reminded that these are not church holidays. These are not Christian holidays. They're days where we ought to be giving pause and we ought to be thanking God for the freedoms that are ours. And humanly speaking, for those who have worked and sacrificed not only their time and much of their lives, but some of their very lives, to ensure the way of life that we enjoy and benefit from. But that is a personal and a civic duty that we have. It is not something that the church does. Another characteristic of this warped gospel is the degree of passion and emotion that is stirred up when singing patriotic songs like God Bless America, the Star Spangled Banner, God Bless the USA, my country tis of thee. And and guys, I mean, when I hear Lee Greedwood sing God Bless the USA, I almost levitate sometimes. Ah. I imagine myself single-handedly defeating all the powers of the world. I have to guard my heart and my mind against this. I've told you this many times. I'm a child of the 80s where everything was clear. We had Rocky and Rambo. The Russians were bad and we were good. We had Reagan for heaven's sake. It was great. Just not... Biblical, and, and, and the, the issue is not that we get that passion or emotional with these songs, it's that we have an inability to get that passion or emotion emotional about songs that speak of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. We don't get near the emotion or passion when we sing hymns or great songs of worship as we do when we sing or hear these. One final characteristic I'll give you this morning, there are many, but is, is the, the, the tendency to, to marry the flag in the Bible in a way that views America as God's chosen instrument to bring about his purposes on earth. This is subtle, but it's very, very present. It's very, very present. This idea that anywhere American troops go, they're doing God's work. That's a very dangerous idea. We hope and pray that that would be the case. But we needn't to not get the cart before the horse there. This kind of political Christianity though, it's not just a problem for conservatives. So if you've been sitting here, if you're a liberal Democrat, you've been like, yeah, stick them pastor. Best sermon I've ever heard, your time's coming now. (laughs) It's not just a problem for conservatives, it's a problem for liberals and progressives as well, who often see conservative believers and the church actually as the enemy and secular politicians and activists as friends and allies and heroes they look to who are doing what the church can't, making a society right and just. And most politically liberal Christians hold the convictions they do, the convictions you do if that's you, most often not because of biblical or theological formation but because of life phase, you're either younger, typically that's how it goes, people tend to get generally right, generally tend to get more conservative as they get older, or race, or background. It's something you've grown up in, it's, it's something that's affected you, but it's not something that you've sat down with the scriptures open, and in community with other believers, been thoughtful about the way that you engage political thought and ideology. And I just have to say that whatever my political leanings, whatever your political leanings, whatever our political concerns and ideals, they must be a distant, distant second to our submission to the lordship of Christ as master and king. Of all those he's redeeming from all nations and all ethnicities, few things help this as much practically as going internationally on mission trips do. And as we begin to put more opportunities before you this year, next year, the year after, and year after, to the degree that you're able and you can, both physically and financially, and in terms of uh, your vocation and job, you should go. Because it softens and changes you. You begin to have firsthand knowledge of the global nature of God's love and his family. You begin to connect personally with brothers and sisters in Christ in different places. I said earlier, I'm I'm a political creature. I have to guard this very, very carefully. I was originally, I originally double minored in college in uh, legal studies and political science. I love it. I get so excited on election night. I can't hardly stand it. I'm so fired up the days before, and I'm like, let's get to. I don't want anybody to bother me. I want the children in bed, and don't talk to me, Sharon. There's TV to watch. We're gonna win or we're gonna lose. You know, and popcorn's made, and pizza's ordered, and, and I get work to eat burgers, I eat pizza, I don't know what. But you don't eat healthy stuff on election night. That's ridiculous. I get excited, but the day I bring that into the pulpit and try to lay that down and connect all the dots and line you guys up is the time I need to turn my Bible in. Because it's not what the pulpit in a church exists for. It's for the preaching of the gospel. I tried to tried to rework in my own words a statement that I heard from Alistair Begg sometime back in a message they actually preached years ago, but I couldn't, so I'll just give, you, give it to you in his form, which is better than mine Anyway. He said, the kingdom of Christ takes precedence over every other kingdom. See, this isn't just us, guys. It doesn't matter if you're Brazilian, if you're Chinese, if you're Russian, if you're German, definitely if you're French. It doesn't matter where you come from. The kingdom of Christ takes precedence over every other kingdom. No matter how much we love where we're from, and we do, don't we? No matter how thankful we are for all the benefits and privileges we experience. And when, when you get to be friends with people from other countries and immigrants, you, you realize they all love where they're from. Even if they love being an American, maybe they've got dual citizenship now. Dual citizenship now. And they can talk to you about the benefits and the privilege and, and the remarkable upward mobility that's available to Americans now. It's why they're here. But they love the country they came from. They love the culture they came from. They miss, the si- they miss the sounds and the sights and the smells. But every one of us in here this morning, I gotta get back to beg now. I'll just finish this quote, stop commentating on it. And we all are, every one of us without exception, grateful for these benefits and privileges. But ultimately the issue is a kingdom where Christ reigns. And it's made up of his people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and race living under his authority and rule. This is what our neighbors are supposed to see glimpses of, the front porch of when they come to church. This is what they're supposed to get a foretaste of. Imperfect for sure. It's like when your kids first start cooking and they bake a cake and you go, it's good. What you mean is it's all right. It's not perfect. It's not like granny did it. But it is what they should experience. It's what John speaks of in Revelation eleven five five, when he says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. If you don't believe this, how do you get out of bed in the morning in the wacky world we live in now? Without a firm belief in the sovereignty and the goodness of God, how do you approach life? What hope do you have for your grandchildren? your great grandchildren for your future. If you're a teenager or you're in your 20s, we're to be devoted yet distinct. One final point this morning. We're to be discerning about where we live. Now, now I don't mean about choosing where we live. We're to be discerning about the values and the ideologies and the, uh, the ideas that are presented to us as truth. Where we live. If you think back to the passage in Jeremiah, when God commands them in verse 7 to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which they've been carried in exile, that takes discernment. What does it mean to to seek peace? What is it that provides peace? What does it mean to, to seek the prosperity? What actually leads to prosperity? And this is where we differ and where we ought to give grace to one another. To say that, that you and I can, can both be trying to seek the peace and prosperity of the land to which God's called us, but we may differ on, on what will provide that and what will produce that. We're to be discerning. Be discerning. This great statement that we find uh, in all three of the synoptic gospels where Jesus is, is trying to be trapped by the spiritual authorities of his day. We'll look at it from Matthew chapter 22. Beginning in verse 15, when the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. This was a consistent thing. Jesus starts to get irritated with it in a minute. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Always be careful when someone begins with praise at you. They're always a but. And yet, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Well, they're saying about Jesus is true. He was not a respecter of, of personal status or hierarchy. Verse 17, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, just once I wish I felt the freedom of Jesus or of Paul, but I'm not Jesus and I'm not Paul. So one they crucified and the other they probably beheaded. So I'll just mind my business. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. They couldn't trap him. They couldn't trap him. He was way smarter than they were. Brilliant. What Jesus is saying here is that the state, any state, any nation where we live is rightfully do certain things. Part of that was taxes in their day. Part of it is taxes in our day. Nobody has ever liked taxes. Taxes. But that's the nature of the beast. The stunning thing here is that Jesus was suggesting that there were things that Caesar was not due. And that's what was stunning. Give to Caesar what belongs to him, but to God what belongs to God. One, he's denying the godship of Caesar. And the denarius at this time had subscribed on there, son of the most high God, Caesar, Augustus, Caesar, Tiberius, these Caesars that ranked in line there. There's such gospel implications here. I can't work it out right now, but it's so powerful. But part of what Jesus is saying here is we have to be thoughtful people. We have to be discerning men and women as followers of Jesus, as disciples, to give what is due the authorities that are over us. but to not give what is not due to them, what belongs to God. And you hear the the Genesis 1 language here, whose image is on it. In whose image are you made? Whose image are you created in? God's. One of you knows. Yeah. What Jesus is saying here is, they can have your taxes, but they can't have your worship. Caesar doesn't get supremacy in your life. Friends, America, whatever political aisle your own, politics in general doesn't get supremacy in your life. We've got to be discerning about this in our own hearts and souls. There's a world watching and a world even looking in at the church in America. Sometimes uh, they can't even recognize it because it's so tied to nation. Let me give you uh, some characteristics here. I gave you characteristics of uh, this political God and country thing in general. Let me give you some conservative and liberal characteristics of of how this works out or maybe how you and I can gauge where we are in this as we're trying to be discerning about the culture and the waves we live in. The conservative God and country Christian is often characterized by at least these and, and many more things. Social media posts... That if one looked at consistently, they would think that the chief concern of God is America's flourishing. Is America's flourishing. Second, you're more inspired by soldiers than missionaries. And I say this as one who rarely tears up unless I'm watching a war movie. I almost cried the other day watching Apollo 13. It's so beautiful. Jake said, they didn't even die. I said, but they were willing to. He doesn't understand. You believe taking back America, now listen to this. And may God be our witnesses. You believe that taking back America is the mission of the church. Now, liberal social justice Christians are passionate about certain certain social justice issues but often you position yourself against the church from within the church. It's the strangest thing. Generally, you're apologetic for Christians, the Bible and the church, it's just your your nature. Embarrassed by the Bible's sexual ethic and you champion, often, generally, a Jesus of love who most wants people to be their authentic selves, right? Because Jesus said love one another and love wins. Last one I'll mention this morning, the liberal social justice Christian largely defines their tribe by politics rather than theology. A tendency to give more grace to a secular progressive unbeliever than a politically conservative believer. We could go on and on about this. As the band makes their way up here this morning and prepares to to lead us in a time of response reflection. I want to challenge you this morning that when you take the, the, the biblical teaching around the issue of faith and the state, Christianity, and a nation or country where one lives, there is no doubt, no question that you and I are called, we're commanded to be good citizens, Good neighbors, you know that being good citizens begins by being good neighbors? Just by being good neighbors, by keeping your trash mode and you know, not letting your dog leave things on other people's lawns. I probably shouldn't get into specifics, but just being a good neighbor, that's where it starts. Being a concerned citizen, understanding that your representatives do represent you. They work for you as elected officials. They're paid by your taxes. Let them know what you think. Email them, call them. Do it in a way that will glorify Christ. They're human beings with stresses in their personal lives, issues in their families and home, issues at work. Hearing one thing from you and another from the next person that calls them. But it does matter. Work for the good of your community, your state, Your nation. And pray to the Lord for them. Pray to the Lord for our community, for the greater Atlanta area. That mercy and justice and goodness would flow in the metro Atlanta area. Pray for the state of Georgia. Pray for our nation. And pray for other nations and other peoples as you watch the news. But remember, this takes a back seat to the kingdom of God. It's in there, it's a seat. Because we're dual citizens. And God loves his creation. And he's going to renew and restore his physical creation. He made us as physical beings, as creatures who require matter and air, physical space to live. That's God's idea. But we can't lose sight of the fact that it's the blood of Christ shed on the cross that breaks down the barriers of enmity between human beings. Politics doesn't do that. It's the blood of Christ shed on the cross that, that destroys the dividing wall of hostility between races and ethnicities, between classes, between the educated and the uneducated, the rich and the poor. By providing awareness of our sin and then redemption for us, the forgiveness of sins that allows me to know that the ground at the foot of the cross is remarkably Level. I don't know where you are with regard to this, but I would almost guarantee that if you're alive and awake over the next year, you're going to be pulled at times in this way and that way. I know I will be. The warning here with regard to false faith is that you and I not confuse a political version of Christianity that doesn't even have the shadow of the biblical faith that we have before us for the real thing. And find ourselves standing guilty before God one day. Wondering what happened. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as we Prepare to receive offering to God to turn in connection cards with decisions on them and, and prayer requests. Father, to participate in the ordinance of communion. God, I pray that our hearts would be soft and pliable before you. Lord, I, I do pray again, as I did before, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us to be faithful representatives. Ambassadors to our earthly nation and community, faithfully of that place where our citizenship ultimately rests and reigns in your kingdom, under your rule and your lordship. God, guide us and protect us. Help us to be passionate witnesses of the gospel, to love our neighbors. God, to be peacemakers and uniters over the months of division uh, and and talking and news and politics that, that lay before us. God, we love you this morning. There's a yearning in our hearts to be faithful. God, I pray now on behalf of those who are about to respond, God, on their connection cards, who are about to respond by giving. Father, I thank you for those who've given throughout this week to the mission and ministry of the gospel through this church. Bless them. Show favor to them, God. Grow them in faith and joy and delight as they trust in you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us online at lnbc.us. Thanks for tuning in today.